Ostroff, uh, and this is our formerly podcast that we flipped into a Facebook live show during the coronavirus pandemic. So today's show is a little bit different. Uh, in, to quote, to paraphrase Rod Serling, this one needs a slightly different introduction. Today, instead of having one guest, we have two guests. So I hope you find this show at least twice as good knowing these guys. It's about a 50-50 shot whether or not you'll find it twice as good as everybody else. Uh, joining me today, I have Aaron Paul from Solutions Group Wealth Management and Robert Cruz from hey, Solutions everyone. Group Accounting. And I'll let them introduce themselves in a little bit more detail. But before that, while I have you here, I want to plug some things we have going on tomorrow at 5 o'clock on Facebook for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Florida. We have our virtual gala. It is totally free. It is open to anybody. You are more than welcome to watch it there or on YouTube. You just have to go to the Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Florida page tomorrow before 5 o'clock. We're going to have some local uh, musicians playing a couple songs. We're going to have a magician. Uh, Pat Williams has a pre-recorded statement, as does Amy Caulfield. So we're going to go over the mission of the organization. So if you want to see a very fun event, get out, have a little bit of fun. Well, I guess stay in, have a little bit of fun. You can join us there as well. Uh, and then obviously, if you like these videos and want to stay in touch with Jordan Law, please subscribe to our YouTube page. Mark will drop that link in here. And later today, we'll be dropping our um, breakdown of next week's videos. We're going to have the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters on to talk about you know hosting events virtually, running a nonprofit during coronavirus. Uh, we've got some other great guests lined up for next week as well. So, But enough about me. Let's talk about these gents who uh, I think Robert wants to go first. Robert was here first. So we, we honor the uh, first in, first out situation. So tell us about like yourself, it. my friend. Accounting inventory method already. Love it. First in, first out. There we go. Uh, Rob, Robert Cruz with uh, Solution Group Accounting Firm, uh, where we're a source of solutions for your tax accounting and payroll needs. Uh, we're a small, we're, we're, we're a, a good-sized firm up here in Longwood, Florida. We have clients all over the nation. Um, just to kind of give you a quick background about us. Um, we, uh, we also... Um, full service firm, have a solutions group wealth management as well, which is where Aaron Paul comes in. Um, but uh, in a nutshell, that's who we are. All right. And so for those of you that follow me on my personal Facebook, I gave a wonderful shout out to Robert. Um, uh, thank you very much. I'll, yeah, no problem, man. But thank you. I'll, I'll echo it here. I just, I don't know how accountants can get anything done, even with the deadline moved back, but you still have a lot of people getting refunds who needed it now, plus have stimulus check questions plus have PPP and other loan needs, plus have all those other things. So, you know, I, Robert did a fantastic job, kept me in the loop and, you know, got everything done that we needed to get done. I was actually talking to my business partner yesterday, uh, Nate Green, and uh, we were talking how it was a different type of busy the first two weeks of April this year. It wasn't, you know, trying to hurry up and get a bunch of tax returns out the door before the April 15th deadline. It was, you know, how can we help our business owners with getting this money back in their po uh, pocket to uh, essentially stimulate the economy and keep the economy going. So it was a different, it, we were still slammed, still busy this time of year, but it was different this time of year. But it was, it was, it was a good, it was a good busy. All right. So let's let Aaron Paul talk about himself. You know, uh, I don't know what needs to be said about Aaron that hasn't been said by Aaron about Aaron. Well, we so. only have an, we only have an hour, Aaron. So. There we go. And then we'll circle back to you because I want to get into more detail on that. I know that's I get a ton of questions on that. I'm sure you get even more questions than me. Right. But he's uh, he's itching to speak. So let's let's give him a, a floor for a couple minutes. Well, it's good to see everyone. Um, 
I thank you for having me on, Gordon. Um, I've been on your podcast before, so um, I'm going to try to, if anybody who's seen it, I want to try to give something fresh and new today, especially with what's going on. So to introduce myself, um, I am Rob Cruz's partner in Solutions Group Wealth Management. Um, we serve a lot of business owners, a lot of individuals. Um, we really try to offer top-notch service to folks locally and nationally. We even have a few international clients. So um, it's a really good platform to kind of, as friends, I mean, I've known Jordan for a long time, so has Robert. So as friends, give the public a little bit of a perspective on we live and breathe and kind of our perspective. on. It. So I appreciate you giving us the platform to do that. Of course, I did uh, have nobody ask, but I hope that one day when we have you on, somebody's like, is that the dude from Breaking Bad? So, <laughs> having, Except that I look nothing like him. You have to lose like two feet and 55 pounds. Correct. It's just, the, uh, just the name. All right. So uh, let's circle back with Robert, and then obviously we'll end uh, talking with you, Aaron, because I know you've got sure. some – there is some positivity to be gained from this from the market outlook perspective. But I know right now everybody has those immediate questions about – the stimulus checks, the payroll protection loans, some of the other loans, what's going on with their business. So Robert, give us the, uh, give us the rundown from the tax side. Yeah. I mean, so a couple of weeks ago, um, an act passed called the cares act and the cares act was, uh, it, it was large. It was about 800. The bill itself was about 800 pages. Um, and, uh, essentially broken down into two segments. Uh, we have the individual impact and we have the, uh, business, uh, impact. Um, each has its own uh, high, high-end key points, of which uh, we'll talk about in much more detail today. Um, but um, from an individual perspective, as everyone's probably the most common thing, is that there's this stimulus check that uh, is, is already being uh, sent out. And a lot of people have already received this money. Um, and it's based off of uh, income, right? Uh, depending on how much uh, you made, depends on how much you're going to receive. Uh, how many children you have, uh, qualified children, that is, under the age of 17. And so, um, you know, it, it depends on if you're single, if you're married, uh, head of household, um, and it goes based off of either your 2018 or your 2019 return. Um, if the 2019 return hasn't been filed, then it goes off of your 2018. So the most common question that I get, um, you know, and, and I get a lot of phone calls more recently uh, why haven't I gotten my check yet? Um, or why haven't I gotten my direct deposit yet? Um, I read an article this morning, uh, H&R Block and TurboTax. For anybody that used those sources, those programs last year, apparently are having a huge, huge problem. About 20 million, 22 million people are being affected. And somehow there's some sort of disconnect between the Internal Revenue Service and those two um, platforms. And so uh, what we're finding is people that use TurboTax or H&R Block last year um, haven't, gotten their, haven't gotten their money yet. Um, so it, it's very interesting to hear that. Um, I, I think I read that this morning or, or heard that this morning. Um, but, um, but also, uh, if you made over a certain amount, you know, if you're a single filer and you made more than 75 grand, um, you know, that, that money that you're supposed to receive starts to become limited. Um, and it's fully phased out at $99,000 if you're single. Um, and it's just doubled if you're married filing jointly. And then there's also a head of household limitation. Um, the head of household income limit is up to 112,500 bucks. And if you're over 136,500 bucks, you actually get no money. Um, and, and so, um, 
a lot of times people are asking me, hey, how can I get how can I get a status update? How can I get more information on when I'm going to receive my money? And IRS.gov does have a link where you can check your status. Um, and if you uh, did not get a refund on your 2018 return or the last return that was filed, um, or you did not provide your direct deposit information, it does give you the availability to log in there and put in your direct deposit information. Um, and because they're saying that if you do have direct deposit information on file, that is the quickest way to get your money. Yeah, I heard along those lines, I heard that um, anybody who did the cash advance, so if they got a like debit card or something from their tax preparer, that the money is going to go back to that account unless you change it. And then there's really no way for them to know who that came from because they're not marking. They're just sending the money to the account that's linked. They're not putting any sort of identifying characteristics on it. Is that correct? That is correct. And that's part of the issue of the reason why the delays. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, I mean, that, from an individual perspective, there's a lot of other things in this CARES Act from uh, that impact individuals. Um, but the most um, important one is this stimulus check. Um, then moving on uh, to businesses real quick. Um, the most popular uh, business um, impacting um, part of this act would be something called the PPP the Paycheck Protection Program. And everyone knows this mainly as the forgivable loan. Um, and I can get into much detail, but on, full on, on, on the top of the surface, it essentially um, keeps your employees employed by providing a loan, potentially forgivable, now to help keep your employees employed. And it's a calculation. The loan amount is a calculation based off of uh, the 2019 payroll. That you paid the monthly average. Um, and the uh, forgivable portion, it, there's very little guidance on exactly the logistics and the specifics. But overall, payroll, rent, and utilities will be used. The amount you paid for those three categories will be used to determine if the loan will be forgivable. So that's the program though that ran out, of, ran out of money yesterday, right? That is correct. And uh, that is correct, a good point. Um, but I believe they're working on getting more money in the hands of business owners. And I think I heard 250 billion more is coming out here soon, hopefully. Well, so it was 350, it was 350 billion to start, right? To begin with, that's correct. And that lasted, what, two weeks? Uh, the 4th of April, so yeah, 13 days. So, yeah, a little under two weeks. So 250, I mean, so that would last potentially even less time. Um, yeah, and there... I, heard, I heard the $350 billion really only affected about 30% of the business owners. Oh, so even 250 is not going to make it. It'll make a difference to a lot of people, but it won't be a 100% solution. Yeah, maybe, maybe not, because, you know, the first 30% were, were, you know, businesses that were borrowing millions of dollars. Okay. So, you know, uh, the smaller businesses, uh, you know, there may be a bigger impact in terms of the total percentage of business owners the second round. Yeah, it was crazy to me because I, um, you know, I, I use Iberia Bank for our, uh, one of our banking partners. And so I went with them, met Bill Hines and BNI, great dude. Gave him a shout out with you as well yesterday. 
Yeah. Um, but I, I remember talking to him. And so I was one of the first applications in, you know, you got all my documents to me and made it so much easier. I appreciate it. And I remember talking to Bill, you know, like five business hours later that a relatively small bank like Iberia had requests going over 1.7 million people, not $1.7 million, 1.7 million people just wow. from Iberia. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's crazy. So if I'm a business owner who unfortunately uh, did not get my PPP loan, are you suggesting they, you know, get with their accountant right now to get everything lined up so they've got the paperwork and the documents together as much as possible? Yep. So one of the things we're recommending is go ahead and continue with the process. Go ahead and continue gathering your documents, filling out the application, um, getting with your accountant. Uh, we actually provide a service to help compile this information. I think you took advantage of that as well. And, and um, But what uh, a lot of SBA lenders are doing is they're going ahead and, and, and at least I know one SBA lender told me the other day that they're going to continue with the process internally from their perspective so that when they do open this back up, it's just like another floodgate to the SBA to, you know, get these approved as soon as possible. But yes, I would recommend to go ahead and, sh- and continue to do so. So that's, that's amazing to uh, the bank that's doing that. Cause I imagine, especially a lot of the larger banks are probably been like, all right, well, we're done doing these until we have to do them again. Right. Right. So, and then the other thing that's difficult about these is, you know, there's really no definitive application, right? Each bank has their own one. Um, Yeah. So they, they ultimately ask for the same amount of information. There is an SBA kind of template application, right? Um, Of course, each bank has their own set of requirements of what documents uh, to provide um, or not provide. Um, But essentially they're asking the same questions. Um, You know, some other, some banks have more questions. Some banks follow the, the SBA application that was posted on their website to the T. Um, so really it's, it's, it's bank specific. And also I know a lot of the banks are either front loading the ones that are being done by a tax preparer or other professional, or at least letting you have slightly different numbers if it's approved by a professional. I know like, for example, um, Iberia would only go by 2019 four quarters, but if you went through, um, a, you know, went through an accountant or whatnot specifically, then you could do Q1 of 20 back to Q2 of 2019. So if you had a better first quarter of 2020, you may be able to get quite a bit more money doing it that way. Yeah. So the cutoff is, um, is February 15th of 2020. Um, okay. So they're kind of using that as a, um, as a cutoff. So yes, but so they also, uh, seasonal employers have, di- have a different period that they can use as well. And that, that kind of um, is defined based on the business. All right. So let me do this uh, to anybody watching now, you know, as you know, feel free to drop questions. So if you have any questions specifically for Robert, we'll make sure that we get to them. What I want to do is I want to switch over to Aaron a little bit, and then we'll come back to talk a little bit more broad detail. So I think you've provided everybody with a really nice game plan here okay. on what to do. And then uh, we'll come back to you in a few minutes. All right. Thank you. All right. So Aaron, you're going to talk to us a little bit about the stocks and the market outlook and everything from this. Is that right? Yeah, I can give some perspective. Um, I'm a little bit more bound by compliance than some, so I'm going to stay away from certain topics, but I will try to give broad understanding and perspective of what we're seeing and where the opportunities are to hopefully give some perspective to everyone watching, but also a little bit of calm that um, there's opportunities still and there's still will be. What you mean by that is you can't tell us, hey, I think you should buy the following stock. Am I right? 
Correct. And I also have to watch the way that I discuss the market because it could be considered a recommendation. So I'm going to be giving you my opinions on what I see and I'll formulate a lot of them as questions that I was asked to hopefully educate through conversations I've had versus giving my opinions for everyone. All right. Well, one of my uh, one of my fellow lawyers just left the opinion. Bye, bye, bye. So thank, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Hunt. I know uh, I've been following you on Facebook. You, you have had some phenomenal recommendations that I've uh, I've jumped on. So uh, Can't say I disagree with that. Yeah, there we go. So I don't want to uh, I don't want to put Aaron in a bad spot and make him, uh, you know, say something along those lines. But so let so give us the tell us what you can tell us. All right, so what we're seeing is a lot of people are having um, some emotional reactions to what's going on, which I completely understand. Um, but the information that they're getting that's surrounding it to give perspective, a lot of, from the news or whoever, is from historicals. And everyone knows this is a time that's not happened before in this way. So that's pretty common knowledge. But what isn't is I see a lot of folk, whether economists or whether they're advisors that are on CNBC or any major platform, kind of mixing in what's happening with things that have happened in the past. And I don't think that that's a fair perspective for the American people because a lot of what's occurred will not continue going forward. We get specific. So what that means is if you're looking at historicals over the last 30 years, I think we can agree that the last 10 years has been significantly different than the 20 before that, right? When it comes to the internet and the way we receive things, if you would have told me five years ago that I rent a house from someone that I don't know and stay in it, that I get in a car with someone I don't know and have them drive me somewhere, and that I could go out and buy things online and the next day have them delivered to my door, I would have called you crazy. Oh, yeah. That's the thing that, that I don't want to say cracks me up. That's not the right word. But like we've never been so interconnected at a time where we have to not be connected to each other physically. Right. And this is this is – Amazing, because could you imagine doing what we're doing without the technological advances that we have currently? It would be worse. I mean, I wouldn't have Netflix. We wouldn't be doing this. I'd be calling you on a phone that I'd have to like swing that little thing around. Just kidding. But it would be it would be a totally different situation without the technological advancements that we've had. Right. I see a separation of people seem to compartmentalize that, and they understand that that's occurring and it's changed, but they're getting fearful from what they're hearing from other folks because they're not looking at that as what we have going forward. So what I mean is I think there's a lot of opportunity for our market to continue to grow and adapt far beyond what historicals show us. So what I would say to the general public listening is use your brain when you're listening to recommendations, use your brain when you're listening to what is to come, whether it's good or bad, and take into account what's changed in this world recently, even in the last year or two. We've had drastic improvements in areas that 20 years ago were taking us by storm, whether it's healthcare and cancer or whether it's things even getting things quicker that we need. We're getting more streamlined. And as Americans, we don't quit. We continuously adapt. We're always looking for the next best thing to be able to do better. Even Robert and I, as business owners, are always talking about what can we do better? How can we serve better? How can we be more efficient without losing the underlying level of service? Every major company that is represented on the stock market, because that's what the stock market is, it's made up of US and international companies, has the same mindset. So there really will never be a hurdle that can't be overcome. And if that's the mindset, then opportunities in times like this, we're getting discounts on companies that shouldn't be there and really don't have any real base to be this low other than the general fear of what's going on right now. So there are plenty of opportunities that I don't want people to be swayed away from because someone will show them a chart 
that this happened in 1999. Well, we were a different country in 1999. Can't rely on every bit of that information to tell me what's to come. I have to use either my advisor, or which hopefully you have a good one, or at least your own mental acuity of saying, things are different. I'm not going to let that scare me. I need to be smart, but I need to take into account what's happening now. And a lot of folks aren't doing that because fear can be, you know, kind of traumatizing. It's hard to think through things. Well, so that was the, uh, one of the most interesting articles I read was one about how, you know, Disney could come out of this still turning a profit in a year where, you know, their parks are going to be closed for so long because they've got Disney plus, because they've got the movie stuff, because they've got Marvel, because they've got star Wars, you know, they, they pushed frozen out earlier to get more people to sign up for the streaming service. So it just seems like, you know, these, these companies that are that large, they're internally adapting as much as possible to the, you know, the modern day sales pitch, which then obviously is going to help their stock from a financial standpoint. Right. And um, I want to let you get to any questions that you have, but I want to make sure that everyone understands that we did ha we happen to have gone into this in a very good position since 08 Americans have more cash than they ever have which puts everyone in a little better position to go on the offense in times like this. The real balance is, is know how much of my liquid cash should I be putting in? Where should I put it? How long should I expect to be able to do without it? What am I expecting to get in return for the amount of money that I'm investing? That's really where the, you know, as much as buy, buy, buy is, seems to be a general consensus. You have to be able to make sure you're consulting with professionals or at least educating yourself enough to know what percentage you should be buy by buying with if you're going to do it and make sure you're not over, you know, over risking yourself. So if you own rental properties, maybe don't be buy by buying your real estate funds. So these are just simple things that as advisors on the input level, we're going through to make sure that clients understand. But if you don't have someone like me, you need to be tactical and very macro in your approach of what you're going to do to take advantage of this and then get a little more micro in what you really should be buying and holding and the expectations of it. It's not just a free for all right now. We don't want anyone you know, to get hurt from this. This should be only positive and it can be very positive if done correctly. Well, you have to look at it almost like gambling. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we're making our best case guess at what stocks are going to be worth more later. We can't be 100 percent sure. So just like, you know, gambling on sports, you don't want to risk money you don't have. Agreed. And I would say the only advantage we have as uh, investors and as visionaries of being positive in a market where most people may not be are that we get to, if we're stick with the gambling analogy, I get to know who the dealer is. I get to know how old he is, how long he's done it. I get to know his experience, meaning we get to buy companies, but instead of just going in on our gut, we can go in and do a ton of research to see how robust they are, how much cash they hold, how often they've raised their dividend, what sectors they're in, maybe some ancillary sectors we don't know that we need to know. Like, for example, Disney, it's important to know that they're in travel, but it's also important to know that they hold a lot larger market share of other things that in the periphery will do better than their main holding of cruise ships or whatever they have. So that type of research really allows us to go on the offense even more and surpass the gamble to, it's not so much as a gamble of if it happens, it's a gamble of how long it's going to take to occur. It seems like most of the risk I'm seeing clients face is a duration risk, not a capital risk, not a loss of investment risk. It's just if they need the money to buy a house next year, should they be buying Coca-Cola or Walmart? That's an analysis that really needs to take an advanced approach to be able to say our expectations are that the duration is going to be X and it fits within your tolerance versus, yeah, I know Coke's going to do well, but how long is it going to take? 
that's where things can get a little hairy is the duration is really the risk that most investors that are doing it on their own are facing right now. They don't know how long it's going to be. That can either be a barrier to entry and keep them out of the market because they really don't know, or they just take a guess. And if it's incorrect, that won't be good. So we only want positivity if people are going to go buying, you know, it should be done with a plan. That makes a lot of sense. And obviously that's where a financial planner or, uh, you know, putting in a lot of sweat equity to look up a lot of this information comes in. So I want to give everybody um, a little bit of time. If anybody has questions for Aaron, please go ahead and drop them. So um, let's switch to kind of giving a, a question to both of you. You know, if you're sitting here as a business owner, what are some of the things that you should be doing now to make your business as financially secure, as financially strong, as, you know, personally secure as possible based upon, you know, what you all are seeing with the, the different expertise that you all bring to the table? Go ahead, Aaron. All right. So if it were me, I would be figuring out what my competitive advantage is in this market right now. I would be looking at what does my business do? Who does it help? And what can I be doing to adapt to this market? I would be starting there um, mainly because that is what's going to guide me for the rest of my thoughts of what I should be doing with my business. How worried should I be? Should I be worried about laying off folks? Could I be putting them to better use? I would have my game plan recircled and looked at from a macro approach of exactly whether you own a car wash, whether you own a roofing company, whether you own an accounting firm, it doesn't matter. I would be looking at where did I derive my income from before this? Has it been affected? If it has, can I do anything to adapt to get that income back based off of what's happening in the market? Or should I be tightening my belt and know I can't do anything to change it? And in that case, I'd be looking at things like my cash reserves. I'd be making sure that I'm staying liquid to a point where I feel more comfortable. If you're a business owner, the number one thing you should be worried about if you're a sole proprietor is keeping your mental state as intact as possible. So a lot of the other things in the periphery that matter are important, but you have to make sure that you're keeping yourself low-headed because without a calm captain at the ship at the helm, the ship would be in a lot worse shape than it really would be otherwise if he could just take a breath, know what the issues are, know we got them under control, know we're fixing it, and then start an action plan you got to be level-headed when you do that, or you could be chasing down and doing things in haste that really aren't helping you, and you're just going crazy. Yeah, we had a um, we had uh, Dominique Barrett, a licensed mental health counselor, on. I want to say it was two weeks ago. Um, who talked about some stress. It was really interesting because basically, like the entire human brain isn't built for coronavirus. It's built for a quick, super serious, you know, threat level uh, tiger or an animal, something like that. It's not built for this three to four week, you know, oncoming wave of an unseen, invisible virus that, you know, could kill you at any time that anybody else could have. It's just we're not we're not wired to be able to put up with that stress. So I like that you focused on that. Um, let me get to Robert. And then we got a, a question from one of our listeners that I don't know if you'll be able to answer, but we'll try it after we hear Robert's insight on what business owners should be doing during this time. Yeah, I think the biggest change that you're going to see is this is a period of time that people are going to be able to reevaluate <clears throat> their their expenses within their business, uh, whether if something is is a need or a want, um, and I think people are going to start evaluating and start putting a business budget in plan uh, in place, um, and become financially stronger um, as a business. And what I mean by that, and Aaron kind of t uh, touched on it a little bit, but really making sure that, you know, something that I've always preached that you have six months worth of um, monthly ordinary expenses in some sort of reserve account. So I think people are going to really start focusing on that in the event something like this ever happens again. You know, I have some business owners that are shutting the doors and, you know, they were 
you know, they were living, they were living the dream as what I always say. And, and, and rather uh, making sure that, you know, if something like this ever comes up again, they'll be stable, they'll be strong enough uh, for, for six months. Um, so I think that's the biggest change that I think we're going to see. And one of the recommendations that we're making throughout the process. Yeah. I read a, uh, I read a thing that the, whatever the restaurant hotel lodging association, whatever that group is, uh, is predicting there'll be over a hundred thousand restaurants that will never reopen after this. Yeah. And I just, I can't blame them. I mean, that's a tough industry with low margins. And Unfortunately. Then, yeah. yeah. And then even when, you know, even when social distancing and whatnot is no longer the guideline, how many people are going to want to go and sit in a, you know, crowded restaurant, and then that's right. going to ruin all those things. Right. So the question we have from a uh, good buddy, Mr. Hunt over here, and I don't know if you can answer this, Aaron, we'll give it a shot. How long until oil goes back up? <laughs> Where's your crystal ball? Man. Yeah. I got to meet this in person. Um, yeah. You guys so, to get along really well. <laughs> so how long until oil goes back up? Um, I can't give a number on that, but I will give an answer. I hate when people don't answer my questions. So I'm going to say there's a few things that need to occur before that happens. Um, the United States has slowly and quietly been become one of the juggernauts in the oil industry over the last 10 years. So us having this, and obviously everyone is saying we're the foreground of this, we're one of the largest countries. So we're, it's not uncommon we have so many cases. We really need to see what's going to happen with COVID before we're really going to know a timeline, but there are some international issues when it comes to Russia and Saudi Arabia that still have to be straightened out. So I would put it to you this way. If I was purchasing right now, I don't know that I would be factoring in energy as a part of the portfolio that I would be building at the moment. I think we have to uh, wait maybe um, a little bit later toward the end of this year to see how things shape up with COVID. And that would really give a projection of, I would say, if we can get COVID under, my biggest fear is that if we have, you know, we get through it now, we have the summer, if we have a relapse later in the year, it'll obviously affect what I'm saying. But if we can get past this, I think we're expecting maybe 12, 18 months before energy starts to be able to show a little bit of stability. But at the price that it's at now, nobody can make money at $20 a barrel. So there's going to have to be a lot of restructuring and that's not in the foreground of what's happening right now. And that restructuring is going to be delayed, which means my answer is once that restructuring is, you know, on the horizon, I think we have about 12 to 18 months, just look at historicals when it comes to energy of how long it's going to take for them to actually be profitable again, up in the 40 to $50 a barrel range, which if we don't see again, companies that are producing and pipelines and everything that goes with it and fracking is going to have to figure out a way to be a little more thin to make money at those prices. So it could yeah, take that, time. Yeah. The thing that I heard that was interesting was how the American, you know, like the actual drilling in America between coronavirus and what you're talking about, that it's just not financially worth it, that we've cut back, you know, so much that if this continues to go on, we're actually going to end up with like more and more market share as a country because we're not overproducing now to try and chase those gains at $20 a barrel. Yeah. And I actually have clients and friends personally that have been affected by this. Um, so out that are actually working oil rigs out in you know, North Dakota, all the way down to Oklahoma. So it's definitely had an impact and I don't think we've seen, we've been distracted as a country. So, and a lot of the news is going toward other things as it should be. This is a pandemic. It's extremely important that everyone is um, educated, but we're not seeing nearly the coverage would be as if it wasn't happening during this time. Um, 
So all that to say, I don't think the worst is over when it comes to the energy sector, especially oil yet. And I definitely would say that it's something we need to keep an eye on. Will it be an opportunity in the future? Yes, I think anything that gets hit that's a staple like that will be an opportunity. It's a matter of when to get in. At this point, I don't have a good, I can't say anyway, but I don't really have a good time to say when it will be. I just know the signals will be, once there starts to be restructuring and the conversations are had that maybe we need to be more profitable at a lower barrel amount, that's when I think it'll be the general population's consensus that things are getting better. And once the general population gets that emotion, typically people start to buy. All right, we have a, a great question for both of you from Mike Kelso, different spelling than uh, the That 70s Show, now that we're hitting up multiple people with the uh, same names as celebrities and characters. Uh, his question is, how important is liquidity for an extra 60 to 90 days? Should those 1099s and LLCs hold off on mailing checks to the IRS now or wait until they absolutely have to? I think this is a good one for both of you all to get a little insight on. My opinion is... You want to jump that, Robert? Right? Yeah, the advice that I've been providing, if you owe taxes, you know, you owe, you owe money on your tax return, don't pay it until July 15th. There's no reason to. I can file a return now as long as you make the payment before July 15th. It's considered on time. There's no interest. There's no pay, uh, penalties. And we don't know how long, how much longer this is going to last. Liquidity, cash is king. Uh, I mean, everyone says it. But right now, more importantly, more than ever before, I think, you know, having cash in the bank as opposed to paying the internal revenue service right now is way more important. And also along those lines, I know uh, business taxes, what, October 1st is going to be the first three quarters. They've extended all those. Uh, so the first quarter estimated payment is uh, been pushed to July 15th. Uh, July 15th. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, second quarter, believe it or not, uh, is still due June 15th. Um, don't know why, uh, but um, I do have a feeling they might push that one as well if this continues the way it's going. Um, but, um, as of right now, the second quarter estimated payment is due June 15th as normal. Interesting. All right. And Aaron, what's, uh, what's your insight on this liquidity issue for the next two to three months? I think time value money always lends itself to holding on to assets, um, especially in a time like this. So I don't know if it would be able to be deployed in the short term to create any alpha just because of the amount of duration that there is. You know, there's only a few months between now and then. So I don't know if there's any uh, profits to be had by doing that. But I think from the emotional, intelligent business owner standpoint, having that extra cash for the next few months would probably, I mean, cash is king right now. So it would be very smart if, unless there's something in you know the periphery, like if Robert had a recommendation to why this person should be doing it sooner, of course that supersedes my blanket answer. But for me, if the more cash I can hold right now, if it's not being deployed into something that's going to create return for me, it's going to be an emotional safety net that I can at least look at my account and see the extra funds that are in there. And then that's just more I can deploy if I need to for employees or business growth. Keep in mind when we get out of this, business owners should be able to be ready to be on the offense, which right now might be a foreign thing to think about, but having some cash is going to be good now for safety and immediately be able to be deployed to go on the offense whenever we're through this, which we will get through this. There's, I mean, this is not going to end us. We, are, we will get through this. Yeah, I've had the, uh, the balancing discussion along those lines with, uh, when it comes to marketing with so many people because it's a little bit cheaper to buy ads now, you know, 10 15% because you've got fewer people bidding. The question becomes, you know, is it worth it now? Are you going to see the eyeballs? Are you going to get the paying clients? 
all those things. I don't think so, people have anything else to do right now. I think most of the people that I've seen that are using YouTube and other forms of advertising on social media to grow their business are selling more than they ever have because eyeballs are more plentiful than they ever been. I mean, try any, anybody watching this or you guys here have noticed if you call someone in the last week, actually answer the phone. That's amazing. That doesn't happen all the time. Attention is going different places than it has been before. Yeah, so uh, we got a, a great question from not Matthew Palma, but MT Palma Legal. So the actual okay. the actual firm, you know, yesterday while he was talking on this show, I know you jumped on and gave us a bunch of likes and loves. He has not yet done that, but he did ask a legitimate question here. <laughs> so uh, are there any minimum requirements for a business owner to qualify for the PPP protection? Can any filed entity with the Florida Secretary of State apply? For the PPP? Yeah. Minimum requirements? Uh, no, right? So uh, there's, there's, you can't have more than 500 employees. Um, and if you're considered an independent contractor, I guess the minimum requirement would be that you had to at least show net income in 2019 to qualify for the PPP. Um, it's my understanding, and this just came out uh, last week, um, as, as people may know, independent contractors or sole proprietors couldn't apply until last Friday, a week ago today. Um, the the uh, what they're using for the calculation of the loan amount is they're going straight to your Schedule C, looking at your net income, taking that number, dividing it by 12 to get a monthly average, and multiplying that by the two and a half times to come up with a loan amount. So I haven't heard of any minimum requirements. Um, I've only heard of the uh, you can't be above you know certain limits in terms of employees and and certain loan limits in terms of the maximum. That sounds like they may be able to get an even better benefit out of this than a than an LLC because if they're just going off the schedule C, they're going to get credit for pretty much all that net income as opposed to having to focus it more on payroll. Right. Yeah, and it's still maxed out at a hundred grand, right? So the most you can still get is, you know, what is that? That's like twenty grand um, if if they made over a hundred grand on their schedule C. Um, still a big, you know, a big number. Um, but uh, yeah, most definitely that could that could work out in their favor. Yeah, I know, um, you know, we've, we've run into those issues because obviously, you know, lawyers, you end up with a ton of 1099s based upon co-counsels and all those things. So, you know, chatting with everybody about who's going to draft what income and what's going to, and it seems like it changes every day between the, uh, the SBA coming back to the banks or whatnot. So it's changed a lot in the last two weeks. That's for sure. All right. So any, um, you know, we've got here to about 1245. If we've got any other questions, please, please, please go ahead and chime in. We got uh, two grade A experts over here to, uh, you know, you guys. Have I actually got a question. It might oh. actually help. So if you want, I'll share it. Um, it's from my brother. He texted it to me and it's a, it's a really, really good question. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to answer it as I'd like to, but I think it's a question a lot of people might be asking. So um, shout out to my brother, Jack Paul. He said he wants to have an idea of with everyone. Obviously, there's an opportunity, not only just in the overall market, because it's given back some right now, but that everyone is thinking, if we only buy the company that's going to solve this, right? So a lot of investors are thinking, how do I get in and how do I evaluate companies that have the potential to be a part of the cure for COVID? How do I look for companies that are going to be an opportunity for me? Which companies may be the one that does it? And how do I evaluate that? That was his question. Okay. Um, I get that question a lot from clients and that chassis, I can't answer it, but in this one, I'm not going to be able to as eloquently as I'd like. The answer is I'd be very careful in doing that. 
I would be, if I was an individual investor without an advisor, because obviously, even if you have one, I'm hoping you take some of my ideas and go back to your advisor and um, you know ask some questions. But if you don't have someone to guide you, then what I would say is invest in things that you know, because that typically is a little bit safer than trying to go out into a field that you don't. And I would say be looking at opportunities holistically and not just the ones that are emotionally driving you, meaning everyone wants to go and buy the company that's going to cure COVID. You're taking, you talk about gambling, that's a gamble because you could be wrong. I want to, I personally have been asked and the way that I answer it is I would be, I would rather be buying a collage of companies that do a multitude of different things in different sectors that have taken it you know, in the teeth a little bit right now than trying to pinpoint the one or two companies that are going to cure this. If you're right, will you out, you know, will you surpass? With the, yes, you will. But the chances that it may not be the way it seems or it might run a little bit and then they don't get it. It's that's, a, that's an industry that can be very difficult to try to pinpoint. So if it were me, I would be looking at a more holistic approach of buying a collage of companies that are in a range that really aren't going to lose a lot of value versus trying to throw a dart and hitting one of those. So when you're saying that, though, are you saying to get like an ETF or a mutual fund that covers a bunch of different medical professions or you're talking about really just diversifying as much as possible with your comfort level? Good question. So um, that's a really good question. I would say. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a very good follow up question. So um, the, the way that I would look at it is this. Let's break medical off for a second. I would be looking at your, have a very realistic understanding of your emotional state and how knee-jerk reaction you are to things, whether you're level-headed and you're experienced. So if you're more of a person that doesn't really know a lot and maybe you just want to get in, then doing ETF approach or something like that where you're able to buy a large number of companies in one shot would probably behoove you. If you're a little bit more advanced, you can start looking at that maybe as a foundation mixed with a few individual stocks that are either in your wheelhouse that you know, or just companies that you trust that probably aren't going anywhere. If you do want to dabble in the medical side, I think the safest way and one of the smarter ways is to actually go after a mutual fund or an ETF that gives you kind of a shotgun approach. And will you make as much? No, but you're getting the exposure you maybe were desiring. If you're in the medical profession, like my brother is, which is probably why he has such a good question, and I have a few other folks that are, if you feel that you know something that others don't, that would be the only time that I would have a calming feeling of knowing, okay, maybe go ahead and do it. But I'm the first person to admit I have no idea which company is going to cure this, and I would never be putting clients' assets into one that I'm just guessing because I have liability. If you're doing it for yourself or your own portfolio and you want to go and try I would be going after a shotgun approach of those companies versus trying to pick one unless you are boots on the ground in this and you have some information or some feeling that one or two companies over the rest are going to be front runners and do what you see fit. So I, I just got a comment, uh, TNA with three exclamation points. I'm assuming TNA doesn't stand for what it normally stands for. And that that's in reference to something you're talking about. I'm not sure if that means anything to you. If not, we'll see if uh, Mr. Hunt clarifies. Not not coming out of that diatribe I just left. <laughs> okay. Well, also, the fee that I'm watching is like 15 seconds behind because by the time we do this and it streams up to Facebook and everything. So there's a high probability it has something to do with a prior comment you made. Okay. Now. So we'll, we're, we're getting to it as we get to it. 
All right. So before we really get to the end here, can you guys give the, uh, the contact information pitch one more time? If we've got people listening, know they need some help on the accounting side, know they need some more help on the financial side and they want to reach out to you gents. Yeah. Um, I got a couple more things though. I do want to mention just real quick. It should only take two or three minutes, but, um, the, I, I've been getting a lot of, uh, questions, uh, regarding tapping into their, uh, retirement accounts. Um, with the CARES Act, <clears throat> there's a way to actually avoid uh, both the 10% penalty and the income tax on the distribution from your retirement accounts. Now, it's limited to 100 grand, and it must be paid back in full within three years to not trigger any sort of income tax. Now, the recommendation that I'm making is generally best to leave your retirement accounts untouched, to leave them alone, um, especially after you know this recent market downturn. Um, however, if you do need a short-term influx of cash and have the ability to repay it back within three years, this could result in a good option for them. Yeah, the concern I've heard about that, though, is you pulling out $100,000 now would really be the equivalent of you pulling out maybe one hundred and fifty, dollars and then by the time you put it back, that hundred might go back to one fifty. dollars so you may actually be screwing yourself out of you know, quite a bit of money because of when you're pulling it out and when you're putting it back. Right. So without taking into consideration um, any of that, and you are online, you're a small business owner in the retail clothing industry that's not collecting anything right now. And it's and, 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 and you say, well, I need to put food on the table for my kids and wife. This is an option to avoid 10 percent penalty and income tax on that money. Gotcha. And so to clarify uh, Aaron Hunt's prior comment, I guess it's a ticker TNA. There's an ETF. So it was in reference to oh. what you were discussing. It was a specific uh, proposal by him. So Makes I'm going to get you, I, I gotta get you guys connected after this. Aaron, shoot me an email and let me connect you with uh, Aaron after this. Cause I think you guys would really get along. All right. So Robert, um, I know, you know, you had some more stuff you want to share. I'm going to give you plenty of time for that. I just was hoping instead of having people rewind on this, I yeah. wanted to get you guys to give the contact information again, as we get towards right. yep. the end. Solutions Group Accounting Firm here in Longwood, Florida, uh, office number 321-363-4982. Give us a call anytime. Even if you just have a simple question, um, you're not bothering us at all. We'll take the time, uh, give you, you know, an adequate, um, you know, in full detailed um, you know, answer. Um, and uh, yeah, reach out to us anytime. All right. So I'm going to give these gents uh, one more chance to share whatever they think is most important. But before that, if anybody's listening, if you've got any last minute questions, now's the time to get them in to get them answered on the show. Obviously, like like um, Robert said, you know, you got a quick question, they don't mind calling. But I know the questions I've asked here have been, I'm sure, very helpful for a bunch of people. So if you've got them, drop them. We promise there are no stupid questions. So with that, what else? Well, I've got your uh, y'all's smart brains here. What else do you want to share with our listeners, watchers, business owners, etc.? Well, I mean, um, we talked about the PPP. Um, there's also another loan out there, um, the EIDL. Um, this is a loan that does need to be repaid back. Um, but EIDL, standing for Economic Injury Disaster Loans, um, it's a typical loan, has typical terms, up to 30 years, up to 4% interest rate-ish, somewhere around there. Uh, one of the things I will say, you can't double dip. So you can't use these proceeds for the same thing that you're going to be using the proceeds to for the forgivable portion of the PPP. Uh, but over and beyond is okay. Um, so, you know, if you're really facing a financial hardship, 
um, you know, this may be another option for you over and beyond um, the PPP. Okay. And so, that, yeah, that one, so it's like 3.75% and uh, good for, you set up the 30 years? Yeah, I mean, each, each, uh, each um, situation is going to be different. Um, you got to qualify, right? And I've heard it's between 3.75 and 4% up to 30-year repayback, uh, you know, payback period. Um, now, they will advance $10,000, even if you don't get approved, is my understanding. Um, and this is directly through the SBA website. Um, this is not through your SBA lender at the local bank at Iberia or, or Cogent Bank or Regions or wherever the case may be. Um, so you have to go to the SBA website and apply directly on there. The $10,000 I've heard switch to up to $10,000, $1,000 per employee on the advance. That is correct. Okay. All right. Anything else that you want to make sure our listeners know? I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me how much information has been made, how many of these things have come up, how many of these things have been super important in such a small time frame, and then the fact that they keep changing. So I know that, you know, if we do this again in two weeks, we may have not completely different information, but may have a bunch more to talk about. So the, the number of the, mo the, it's going back to the PPP and the forgivable part of this process. Remember, this is another application that needs to be done. Okay. Um, and so it needs to go through underwriting or it needs to, it needs to be verified. Um, the, the biggest question that I'm getting right now and the, the biggest recommendation I'm making in reference to this is, you know, how can we track or how can we make sure that the bank or the SBA lender knows what I spent this money on? So one of the things I'm recommending is, hey, set up a separate bank account, deposit this money into that account and spend and use that money for your payroll, for your rent, for your utilities. And what this does is this creates a direct auto, I mean, like audit trail. Um, so there's no questions in hand. Was this money spent on payroll, rent or utilities? So if you do that, and so let's say you've got, you know, five employees and five, you know, relatively consistent 1099s. Um, you're only getting the payroll protection for the employees, not for the 1099s. I know there's some question on that, that you may get it for both, but hypothetically only get it for the one. Should you be paying everybody out of that account or just the employees and pay the 1099s out of a separate account? Just the employees. Cause when it comes to the forgivable portion, that's what they're going to use. Okay. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, another thing, you know, and, and, and I've gotten a lot of specific questions that are unanswered, such as, you know, hey, um, you know, I got a loan for two and a half times the payroll. You know, what if I don't have rent utilities? Um, could I give all my employees raises to make up for that difference of that 0.5? Because remember, it's only an eight week period that they're going to consider for the forgivable portion. Right. And I really don't know the answer to that question. There's no guidance. Um, I don't know if that's going to work or not. You know, another question I got is, you know, the owner of the business does pay himself a payroll. Can I give myself a bonus and, you know, make up for the difference? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, I think the only thing that we do know is they're going to cap it at that prorated 100000 but there really is no guidance on anything below that. That's correct. Good, uh, good information. And I love good information, and especially considering the so much of it is what we don't know, but at least... <laughs> You know, at least we know what we don't know. We just don't know what the answer is for a lot of this stuff now. If that made any sense, I'm in agreement. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> fair enough. I, I feel that way quite a lot frequently. You know, I haven't yeah. been on other people for uh, with any specificity. So, all right. And uh, 
AP, what else do you have to yep. share? So um, I want to share the two biggest questions that I've been getting recently from non-clients, and I want to make an offer to anybody listening. Um, during this time, two questions I've been getting is, and when I say non-clients, I mean, I get if I included my clients, the questions would include a lot about investing and where opportunities are. We've already touched on that. I want to set that aside. These are for folks I know um, that I've either worked with in the past but have never actually managed their accounts and been their advisor or just friends of mine or folks that are just business owners that I'm friends with. The main two questions I'm getting are, how do I know if my advisor is doing a good job? If you have one, how do I know that I'm taking advantage of this the best as possible? It's never really been an issue up to this point because the market has kind of done a lot of the work for some of the advisors that might be a little more complacent or a little bit lax in keeping up with the way current events are and how to manipulate and manage those. But at this point, a lot of people are circling the wagons and going, how do I find another person? How do I know if I'm getting a good job? So I'm a firm is offering pro bono reviews of current investment statements, financial plans for any business owner or individual that is going through this right now, because we all are, and we want to offer that. Um, the second part of that is I'm getting a lot of questions uh, that pertain to how do I know whether or not what I'm doing is enough? Meaning, how do I know that the amount that I have in the bank, is, how do I know how long it's going to last me minus just doing some simple accounting work? How do I know what it should be? And that's a kind of a scary question for me because I can feel the emotion when someone asks me that. I just want to be able to offer our firm as a resource that we were happy to give you an unbiased answer on what you have. If, it, if you're in good shape, we will tell you you're in good shape. That'll only strengthen our relationship for later so that that person ever leaves the industry. Hopefully, you'll come back to us. In the short term, if we see something that drastically needs to be changed, I will tell you that and you have the opportunity to get and go anywhere you want. We really want to be able to give back. We're not salesmen. This is not meant to be salesy. This is meant to be an offer. If you want to get a state of the union where you are and what you should be doing, I will tell you and our team will tell you. And of course, we have Robert and his team to add a little bit of tax uh, perspective to it. But- I've been getting more questions from friends and individuals. How much does it cost? Would you look at my account? But, you know, we don't have a ton of money right now. We're afraid to have it looked at. I can feel what those folks are going through. We don't need to be compensated for that initial meeting of giving you a pulse on exactly what you have, what you could be doing better. And if you're winning in some area, we will tell you that. So this is wonderful. So yesterday our, our uh, listeners got the free healthcare directives from Matt uh, M.T. Palma Legal for uh, first responders. Today, we're giving the uh, business owners and individuals the opportunity to get their financial situation looked at. I don't know. Uh, there's really no downside. I mean, worst comes to worst. Aaron gives you the rundown, and then you tell him he's full of it, and you don't take the advice. <laughs> right. It's true. I got, I got uh, two, uh, two more recommendations right before we close the doors here. Yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> just two things that uh, could maybe generate additional phone calls or questions. Um, if you have employees who are unable to work due to the mandated shutdown of your business, uh, you could actually get up to $5,000 in payroll tax credits back for that employee. So call us and figure out how that can work for you and if it does work for your business. Um, also, and that, uh, that's under the Family First Act. That was the, uh, the leave based upon coronavirus, watching kids, inability to telework. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. And then also, um, there's a way... So when, when, when business owners uh, process payroll, they obviously have to match the Social Security Medicare tax up to certain limits. There's a way to defer the employer side of the payroll taxes for a period of time. And what we need to do is, you know, obviously we have to evaluate whether or not this company uh, qualifies because the PPP, you can't double dip. So there's that situation as well. 
But if you're still experiencing some cash flow issues, um, that may be another way to push off expenses currently into the future to perhaps maybe meet monthly cash flow issues now. What percentage is that that you're able to push off? So you could actually push off up to 50% of the tax of the payroll taxes um, from I think the period is like between March 12th and the end of this year. And what percentage of their payroll, what percentage of their paycheck is payroll tax? Uh, 15.3% is the total uh, payroll tax for the employer. It's half of that. So 7.65%. Okay. So you're you're looking at being able to push 7.65% or three? No, 7.65. Okay. So for, so basically for every dollar that you are paying in employment, you could push 7.65% off later. Right. And you can't double dip with the PPP. Gotcha. Yep. All right. So for the ones that did not get the PPP due to non-funding, there's still an option of pushing expenses into the future. Yeah. Or at least doing it now and then hoping you get it in the next round, but that may give you one or two payrolls of a little bit of relief. Correct. All right. So anything else from you gents? Otherwise I'll, uh, I'll plug us one more time on the way out. If anybody wants to see us come back, Please let Jordan know. We'd be happy to, Robert and I. And if you have any questions that we didn't get to answer, um, either reach out to us privately and we'd be happy to or save them for the next time we do this and we will answer them then. And thank you, Jordan, for having us on again. Yeah, of course. And to anybody listening who really doesn't want them to come back on, you can email me that information as well. You know, we want feedback in both directions. True. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm kidding. I don't, uh, I don't think anybody would email me that, but we'll see. I'll, <laughs> let, I'll let us know you if you do. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, So again, you know, thank you guys so much for being here. I know I had fun. I learned, I learned a lot and I've done a bunch of these. So I'm assuming everybody else has learned a ton as well. Um, With that being said, you know, if you enjoy the videos, please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. I think we've got 35, 40 subscribers on YouTube. That'll give you access to watch the rest of the videos a little bit more organized fashion than uh, Facebook allows for. Plus there's some other videos that will only go up on YouTube. And then if you're free tomorrow at five o'clock on the Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Florida Facebook page or the YouTube channel, you'll be able to join our gala. It is completely free. It should be a lot of fun. We'll have some music. We'll have some, uh, you can dance from the confines of your living room. We'll have some great speakers, some good information, and you can uh, have a nice uplifting message from a nonprofit that's, we're doing our best to accommodate coronavirus, just like all of us business owners are doing our best to accommodate it for our businesses. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Aaron and Robert, for being here and to everybody who uh, chimed in and asked questions. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're really that bored, we'll be back at 3 o'clock. Mark and I will do Good News Florida. We'll go over the good news for the week, all positivity, ending it on a positive note. So if you need a little pick-me-up, we'll see you right back here at 3 o'clock today. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, sir.